0: This is
1: Sci-Fi Tech Talk. Welcome to Sci Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci fi. I'm Jeff Sire, and with me today is Mike McPeak. Hello! And Julie Keel. Hello! So, today we're going to be discussing The Last Starfighter, the movie. And the uh, synopsis that we have is from IMDb. It's uh, a video gaming boy seemingly doomed to stay at his trailer park home for the rest of his life finds himself recruited as a gunner for an alien defense force. So, succinct and to the point. And first off, did you guys like the movie?
2: Yes, I love this movie. It's just a bunch of campy fun. There's, there's very little science to this fiction, but that doesn't yeah. matter.
0: No, yeah, and campy was the word. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you go into looking for, you know, a you know, really good story, nah. but, I mean, yeah, it was, a, it was a good story, and like I said, it was kind of campy. I guess that was yeah. kind of the word, because you kind of rolled your eyes a couple times. Went, oh, come on, guys, really? But, you know, yeah, it was it was a good, uh, entertaining movie. I didn't mind spending the hour and, what, 36 minutes, I think the movie was.
2: Right. It's kind of, it felt like a summer flick. I, I, oh, shoot, I forgot to look up what year it came out. It's like 80...
0: 84.
2: Four? I was going to say 84. Yeah. Um it just seemed like a, a a good summer flick that, you know, you would just go and have a, some popcorn and laugh yeah. for a little while and then, you know.
1: I, I didn't really feel that it, it's aged all that well.
2: It's definitely 80s. Yeah. But right. the stories still, I mean, the only thing, I mean, what really sets it apart is 80s is the hairstyles. I mean, to be honest, that's about it.
1: Yeah. But I think also the special effects, they were at that kind of crossover. They were horrid. Well, (laughs) yeah, but like they're at that crossover period where they're starting to use digital effects, but they're really crappy. Like, I don't think the effects in this movie hold up as well as Star Wars, which was like, you know, what, seven years earlier.
2: Well, and realize this one played off of Star Wars. I mean, it had to, yeah. you know, have been a response to Star Wars, but it obviously did not have the budget that Star Wars did. And, and yeah, right. you have to kind of, you know, uh, turn your head and at, at look at the some of the horribly awful computer graphics well. that are
0: being used. I, I pulled up this little piece of trivia while I was looking at IMDB. It was the first movie to do all special ex, uh, effects except for makeup and explosions on a computer. Uh, all the shots of spacecraft, space, etc., cetera, were generated on a Cray X-MP computer. So it was, you know, it's rudimentary, you know, I guess for, uh, the way we look at it now, computer animation. But it was one of the first. This one, I think, and Tron were one of the really first movies to make significant use of CGI. I think it's funny that uh,
1: there's probably no CGI in this movie that couldn't be easily done by a film student today Oh, easily, easily. And I'm sure this was done by a team of people.
2: <laughs> right, with with Cray computers, you know, room-sized yeah. computers, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting, though, because if you think back to video games at that time, the transfer between what you were seeing on a video game screen to what you were seeing on the big movie screen, it, you know, it was... It, it was comparable so it wasn't going to be a horrid oh my god this is you know awful type of thing it was going to be yeah that's as cool as we can get right now because that's just the state of the art at the time Yeah, I saw this
1: in the theaters which was the last time I'd saw it before, before today and uh, I remember it uh, a lot better than it was so I don't know if that's uh, a product of just you know 1984 Jeff uh, looking back on it nostalgically or it's a product of um, like at that time, yeah, you, you know, we had space invaders and asteroids, and uh, this probably would have been pretty trippy <laughs> at the time.
2: Yeah, and it's it's. Uh, I mean, there's nothing serious about this. There's just there's just nothing s- that you take seriously. I mean, it's all a bunch of hooey. So, you know, which allows you to put aside some of the technical faults that it has. I think because you know it's just fantasy, you know, it's, there's, like I say, there's no science to this science fiction.
0: Right. So... It's pretty easy viewing. Even when the you know some of the characters die in there, you don't really feel too broken up about it. Like when the the beta dies as he crashes the pickup into the oh. uh, alien post is uh, uh, broadcasting. Uh, it's like oh, okay, he had died, but you know it was like it was a serious moment where you actually felt like you might have an emotion or something.
2: Well, yeah, and, you, and then you could order cannabis. Can a beta die? Um, yeah, because for for those who haven't seen the movie, too bad, go watch it. Um, but, you know, the beta, th- you got the impression, he, he even described himself as a robot, but that, you know, night when he was transforming into Alex, um, sure didn't look like a robot to me, it looked like some organic something or other transforming in there in his bed, so... Um, You really have no clue what the heck that was other than... I mean, this one almost fits in with Halloween a little bit as far as, you know, costumes and boogeymen and that kind of stuff. You know, bounty hunters coming after you in the middle of the night. So it's... it's, um, Yeah, you didn't didn't get... You never got attached to any of the characters. I mean, you you never got invested. I mean, compared to Dune. Was it just last week we did Dune? No, two weeks ago. Um, You know, you were really kind of pulling for certain characters in, in this one and in, in, and in The Last Starfighter y- you knew before you began what was going to happen and so you just went, oh yeah, there it goes there's the plot, yep, they're playing out the plot yep, now they're going to do this, yep, that's what exactly what they did yeah, okay, we got it, yep, there you go You know, so it was just formulaic, I suppose you could call it but uh, still fun
1: And at the end, the girlfriend it was <laughs> like you talk about not being invested in the character oh, I guess she's not going to go with him Oh, oh, well. oh, look at that. She is. She is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, who
2: cares? Yeah, go uh, stay. I don't care. Do whatever. You know. Yeah. Now, on, on a uh, point
1: that has absolutely nothing to do with tech, did you guys notice, uh, uh, I saw it in Wikipedia, but the, the two people who were at the time pretty much nobodies. Will Wheaton on- is
2: one. Will Wheaton. Yeah, this is his first movie. I went back to try
1: and watch it. You can't, I couldn't see
2: his face. No, I've searched this thing for years trying to find that. He's actually one of the uh, kids in, uh, there's a group of kids with, uh, what's the little brother's name? Lewis. Lewis. Um, as they're walking through the park at the very beginning scene.
1: They're running around chasing it with a ball or
2: Basketball something. or something, yeah. And he's the one with the ball, I believe. So, yeah, you really have to know what you're looking for and exactly when to be able to spot him.
1: Yeah. But, well, and the other was uh, Heather Locklear, where she, I believe she had a speaking part. Uh, I believe she was the reception alien when they first got to the uh, ship. Oh. But there was, she she had so much stuff on. I'm not even sure that was her, but she was listed. So
0: interesting. Well, and then you know, uh, you know, since you, you brought up what in the witness, Star Trek, the granny in the movie was one of the aliens in the the Star Trek, uh, the first Star Trek episode, the Cage. Oh, yeah. You're right. She was. Why did yeah. I not put that together? Yeah, that was buried somewhere in the tribute, and I closed my oh, tribute my page, gosh. so I can't bring it up. But yeah, she was one of the. Uh, she oh, was one
2: of the big-headed brainiacs.
0: Yeah, the ones that was keeping Pike. I can't remember uh, their
2: names. Yeah. Yeah. The Talosians. Yeah, Talosians. Talosians.
0: So yeah, so she was one of them that was keeping Pike, uh, you know, mentally, you know, uh, caged up in that uh, place that he was at. So, yeah, I, I picked up on that one too. Wow, it's
1: scary that you know that name.
2: <laughs> well, there's, <laughs> yeah, the- I'm, I'm, shush, don't tell. <laughs> That's supposed to be our secret. <laughs> anyway. You know, there actually was some we we did the episode on, on flying cars about a month ago and oh my god, this movie has the prototype for the flying car. The car it's a DeLorean, it's a takeoff on a DeLorean. But it goes everything from driving as in roadworthy, gravel roadworthy, um three hundred mile an hour down a curvy. You know, lonely road worthy to interstellar space faster than light worthy. Um, that is, you know, the fantasy of the flying car.
1: One stop shopping, the, the car that does it all.
2: Yeah, you don't, you, you know, you can drive it to the corner convenience store or you can take it to Rylo's. Rilo, so, um, you know, whatever, just dial it in.
0: Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure know, I mean, they could have turned
1: it into a submarine, too. Probably. Uh, so they
0: to oh, yeah. And it, it did the uh, it did in between part, too, about flying through the atmosphere also while you're going up to space and then going to uh, light speed uh, with their, what they call it, the star drive, I think is what they called it, where yeah. you faster than light travel.
2: And no heat reflecting shields required, you know, it just you know, slices through the atmosphere. Well,
0: so, it's, De- it's DeLorean, it's cool.
2: Well, like I say, there's just no science <laughs> in this science fiction, so, hey. Well, yeah. Which I don't have a problem with. It's what's fun. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, well, yeah. Not what, all science fiction movies have to be so, you know, techy. So, you know, no. Sometimes it's, it's cool just to have a little fun.
2: Yep.
1: <laughs> what did you guys think of the, uh, the kind of the transition of using the video game for a oh. uh, kind of recruitment
2: you know, funny, this was pre-America's Army, but, yes. um, you know, the American Army actually does this. So it's not... Well... I actually went to grad school for this. You know, seriously. To
0: play, to play video games?
2: Honest to God, guys, the reason we're talking now is because of a video game, because of grad school. Um, seriously. Okay.
0: definitely. <laughs> I want that scholarship. But. I
2: will tell you the story, but and many of you might have heard it, but seriously, I uh, I went back to grad school, and one of my assignments was to play a video game and figure out how you could teach lessons from it, and that's how I came across World of Warcraft. Jeff, that's how I got hooked up with you. Mike, you came up a little bit later. I mean, Lord, it's Ooh. it's a long story since
0: that day. It's the butterfly effect. Oh, it yeah. truly is.
2: <laughs> but one of well, the things we were learning is how... how uh, you know, absolutely um, appropriate, I guess would be the word, it is to use video games as training grounds for certain things, for certain people under certain conditions, you know. They can be time sinks as well, but you can learn things from them.
0: When I got to that part about the video game, I flashed back to Ender's games because they were using... Um, games. They at the end, he thought he was playing a you know a game simulation there, and you know not to spoil the movie for anybody. But it was the full on war that he was conducting. Um, but you know that that's what I flash back to was that they were you know they were using it in the movie there as a training exercise to try and get these kids to you know think as a unit and to the the person that would save the universe for them. Um, but like I said, that's what they used in that movie.
2: Well, and um, speaking of grad school, the same school has uh, drone pilot courses, you know, so the difference between, you know, operating a joystick for a video game and operating a joystick for a drone is like zero these days.
1: (laughs) Didn't you guys have your Supreme Court thing that you guys can't use drones for civilian purposes or something like that in the united states
0: oh i don't think that that's been settled yet oh oh, you silly canadians you think we believe uh follow the laws down here and and jeff we
2: patrol the canadian border with drones so hey stay south stay stay north of that line
1: that's not a civilian purpose right
2: and that's just it too because uh the the town i'm talking about is grand forks north dakota where there's a big air force base there too as well as a university so guess what
1: yeah, well, I know it, that I read an article in, in the news up here just a little while ago, and they were saying that how you know this couldn't be done in the states, but like Canadian companies in the north are using oh. drones like all the time for logging. And I saw that one too. Stuff, yeah,
2: yeah, they do it too for a number of reasons, including you know scientific things like wildlife research. And <laughs> but of course, up here it's like, well, you wouldn't
1: be spying on us, eh? So that's cool.
2: Yeah, well, you know, there's nobody around to spy on anyway, so you know, <laughs> yeah. it's cheaper yeah. than a than a snowcat. <laughs> fun, fun, fun! Uh, but the, the the concept of video games as training—I mean, boy, that's just dead on as far as I'm concerned. That's in in '84, that was blasphemy. Yeah, I mean, utter utter blasphemy—the idea that you could learn anything from a video game, that they were of any value whatsoever, had not even crossed people's minds. I mean, like you said, no. it was Space Invaders and and asteroids and and. You know, there was just no practical application for that, other than perhaps writing the codes, the programs to produce those video games.
1: I'd like to ask you guys a question. Kind of, it's a different topic, but along those lines, you know, like this idea that, you know, in in 1984 we poo pooed this and looked down our noses. There's no way we could learn from a video game, but now it's things have really changed around. Uh, Do you guys think that there has been a change? Kind of overall in science from more of a we can never do this to very rarely do you hear anybody in, in any scientific field say that anything's impossible anymore.
2: There are still occasions when they say that, and my first response is "idiot because um, <laughs> yeah. you just you've you've learned to not say that it's impossible with what we currently know you know we, we it's not possible for us to explain it at the moment It's the See, whole I, never say never thing well,
1: I was thinking specifically of the speed of light like That's I remember one. over and over again being told when I was in high school and that the speed of light was the hard cap you just could never ever go faster than that and now you rarely hear a physicist say that there's like well we don't have any idea of how we could do it but that's not to say that it couldn't be done somehow
2: and that i think that's just you know i was going to call it scarring but they used to say that uh, about the speed of sound yeah. So, you know, they, they used to say that, you know, humans couldn't fly. They used to say there's, you know, you couldn't possibly get around the world in, you know, 80 days, much less, you know, what, 20 hours probably to fly completely around, depending on what you're on. International yeah. Space Station doesn't, doesn't, what, 40 minutes or something? I don't know. Yeah. Well, but,
0: um, it And let's remember, you know, about uh, because it's almost 30 years ago that this movie was made. Uh, A lot of those nerds back then that was asking why are now doing the research to figure out, uh, you know, why that is why they can do that. Uh, um, I think they. The, the people who have always wondered about it are the ones that are now trying to figure out, push the boundaries, and see how far they can go. So I think it's just kind of a, a progression thing. Each uh, progressive age will have its, what it considers its limits, and then the next uh, generation that comes along will test those boundaries and, uh, with any luck, like, break them or redefine them or whatever. So I think it's maybe more of a generational uh, maturation-type um uh, but yeah, then, yeah. Well, and I, th- that, I think I'd agree with that.
2: And that's why I like science fiction movies that aren't so necessarily tied to hard science, because hard science would have told you that you can't go faster than light in a DeLorean. Fantasy science says, eh, let's just take it and run with it and see what happens. you know. And then somebody it catches somebody's imagination, and sooner or later they get a Ph.D. in you know, interstellar travel, and there we are.
0: Well, yeah, because some hard scientist is going to watch one of these fantasiful uh a uh, sci-fi movies and you go, well, what if? And then he'll start playing with it until that what if comes out to a reality, if he can make it so, or at least he'll take steps towards that direction. So, I think it kind of, I, I think I've said it here before, it kind of plants a seed that uh, if the right person nurtures it and grows it, it will become an actual idea at some point. Right.
2: Which gets me to one of the things that i think has just from this movie that i think we're seeing coming true but the um uh, what were they called the zur military the the forces of the armada or whatever the codon codon armada um they had these uh helmets on with what i will call a google glass (laughs) They little, the you know, this little monocle, I suppose, that flipped in front of their eye to, I don't know what purpose it served was, you know, probably just it's in this movie, it's just a prop because it looks cool. But seriously, that's essentially a Google Glass right now where you've got that thing over one eye and you look through it and it's putting displays out wherever. So, um, I think
1: that's one of those game changing technologies that like, uh, like when the first smartphone first came out, nobody knew that the effect that was going to have on our day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. And that was just a few years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And I think Google Glass is going to be like that. The applications for it in just like everything you can think of, like uh, you know, cops or, or uh, military people like in this movie, uh, just like all oh, you- kinds of stuff.
0: Or even the surgeon that wants to monitor somebody's vital signs but not take his eyes off the operation could have that uh, hovering uh, in his peripheral vision there. He could just kind of move his eyes over quick to check what's going on there. Um, Yeah, so there's all kinds of possibilities. And and for, you know, information junkies like me who just want to know what's going on and want to be able to check their calendar what email just came in, uh, I think, you know, even in the real world, there's going to be – and, you know, it'll be those of us who aren't afraid to walk around looking like dorks. but um you know we're uh we 'll start using that kind of technology too right
2: it and it's there's so many implications of it, like even with cell phones, we are still wrestling with legal ethical, even moral implications of you yeah. know cell phones um you know tracking you all the time, images being taken in public in, in anywhere you know um, Google Glass is going to take that to a whole new level, so well like
1: the the plant that I work at, because it's a nuclear plant, uh, when I started working there in '99, um, they had uh, like digital cameras were not uncommon, but they were far from something that everybody had. So any camera that came in the plant, it had to uh, be checked out by security, and it had to be tagged. Well, now. They still have those rules in place, but in a way they're almost in place in name only because every single person who has a cell phone has it has has a camera right so that kind of now they've also put other things in place to to restrict that, and we have now like a code of business conduct we have to sign every year to say you know like I'm not going to take one of the things that that includes is I'm not going to be taking pictures of stuff and like uh but yeah like. We have these, these technologies get introduced and, you know, there's far-reaching influence far beyond the initial, like, oh, this is a phone that I can go on the Internet with. Like, like the, the fallout from these technologies are so broad that you can't possibly think of them all and think of all the effects.
2: Well, I'll take it all the way back to Fire the same thing with that piece of technology as much as you know we probably wouldn't be talking today if somebody hadn't decided to capture a you know flaming piece of lava flowing off the mountain um, you know that can be that you know double edged sword can be used for good it can be used for evil it's been harnessed it's been you know turned wild it's been uh, and we can't live without it and then again it kills people on a regular basis so you know yeah welcome to life
1: I, I would have I would have made an extremely bad caveman because once we invented fire, that'd have been it for me. I just sat in the cave and stared at the fire yeah,
2: okay. forever. But but I would have worked hard enough to invent marshmallows. I'd have, I would have figured out some
0: way to do that. Well, and I would have been the one sitting around there. Let's see if this burns. Let's see if this burns. And then I probably would have been the one that burned up, or maybe the first one to uh, develop gunpowder. Who knows? Because um, that would have, would have been the last thing I would have invented. But.
2: You know, it was really weird for me. I watched this movie, actually, last night. And um, and then, I don't know, I was cruising some website, and they were talking about, I believe it was a Navy ship or something. But anyway, the command center um, where the uh, starfighters were, you know, the recruits were being indoctrinated. Yeah. You had the kind of the, the, the balcony and the big, you know, operations center down below. And, and I was looking at this... Uh, I'm sure it was a naval ship, and they were talking about uh, some of the displays on that, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's the same thing. <laughs> Which is true, because it's a generic command center. You know, command yeah. centers look like that in general. But it's it was really freaky to, to to go from the last starfighter to the cutting-edge naval ship that had virtually the same layout and the same displays. Hmm. Uh
1: so what other tech did we have we had oh something that I thought was really neat was uh, when they did their initial attack on the base they used asteroids they just made a hole in the frontier that was big enough to fling these asteroids through now that's not unique we see that in a lot of different sci-fi but do you guys foresee a time when uh, when that might be
0: a viable technology for a weapon
2: flinging mean- asteroids
0: you been viable yeah. again? Because back when they had catapults, it was basically the same thing—you were using rocks and launching them. But you know, yeah. from outer space, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're if you can move them and harness them, because there's plenty of there's an asteroid belt. Uh, was it between us and? Uh, Mars, or is it uh, 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 beyond Mars? Just between Mars and Saturn. Okay. So, I mean, there's plenty of asteroids out there. There's plenty of ammo. If you had the technology to move them and you want to, you know, uh, start inflicting damage on the Earth, I mean, I could certainly see it. It would be cheap. It would be handy. It would be, you know, and probably effective, too. And it would certainly have the fear factor.
2: And that's the question. Why would you choose to do asteroids rather than, I don't know, laser jets or death rays or, you know, just exploding
1: bombs? Well, Money. If if you have, just think of it this way: if you have an asteroid that just happens to be orbiting the sun, uh, all you do, do is need to nudge it in the direction of the Earth. In and gravity, and, uh, will do- yeah. Rather than you know use a laser that to uh, to produce the same amount of energy would require a huge amount of energy. Whereas with an asteroid, you have this you know giant kinetic energy thing. You just have you just have to wait, right?
0: Well, yeah, because you'd be putting – you'd be uh, using gravity to its full potential. And like I say, you wouldn't – all you'd have to be doing is putting out the energy to get it uh, into – until gravity grabbed it and started pulling it in.
2: One thing that asteroids aren't, though, is a very fast-acting weapon. You know, they've got to just kind of – Yeah,
1: that's right, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know – I I saw uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about – he was – Uh, talking about important NASA missions, and one of them was, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's, it's uh, it's one or more satellites that would be looking for asteroids that would be on possible collision courses with Earth. And so he said, once you locate these things, then we could redirect them. And whoever was interviewing said, well, how would you redirect them? And he said he thought the best way would be to send a spaceship out to it that would match its course and just stay beside it, because then the gravity of the spaceship would slowly, over time, just so long as you had enough lead time, like a couple of years, it would just pull it off target enough that you could direct it away from the Earth.
2: Yeah, you don't need much. You need like a one degree course correction, and that's enough to to swing it out.
1: Because he was saying like these things of sending miners and drilling down and you know blowing things up he said no that's no good he goes you don't you don't want to do that because then you have
2: then you get debris things. yeah it's yeah, like yeah, shotgun you have a cloud yeah. of uh, stuff to deal with
1: yeah but uh yeah i just thought that was really cool you know just just sit this ship there for six months or a year and just uh, you know just have it like able to make little course corrections because it's going to be getting pulled toward the uh the comet or asteroid or whatever it is and it just kind of correct itself away from it and just you know All you need to do is just to deflect it like a, you know, a fraction of a degree, and that would be enough, you know, that at the other end of its, uh, you know, where it was going to be impacting the Earth, that that would deflect it away.
2: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And it's interesting, too, that they had, well, what we'll call a planetary defense system like that, you know, the frontier, um, as well as, you know, the turrets, the, the classic 80s video game of, you know, tower defense. Basically of uh, trying to protect things, which you know essentially worked. but um, it, it was an interesting um, paradigm, I suppose you could say that was pretty prevalent back then that, that they set up this shield that would protect you from you know everything out there.
1: It was also, uh, I don't know if you guys thought about this, but it was very cold warish, right? That you have this frontier set up, and you have these two warring factions on either side of this this barrier that want to uh, constantly go to war, and the only thing is that's keeping them back is this barrier. And then you know once you know once they get a hole in it, there's going to be a sneak attack. And
2: well, and it's it's kind of Greek tragedy too. It was the evil son who turned against the good father, you know that type of thing. So um, yeah.
1: I thought that was kind of a strange subplot to have because it didn't really make any difference at all, except nope. for it seemed that they might have been trying to set it up for a sequel.
2: It did feel like this movie was being set up for a sequel that, as far as I know, never came,
1: yeah.
2: um, but, which I could argue maybe that's sad. But, um, you know, yeah, there were a couple things, you know, with the, the two of them at the end of the show taking off and him agreeing to go back and be a starfighter again. I mean, it just really was being prepped for a sequel.
1: Yeah. Surprisingly, this movie did not make a lot of money. Like I remember it being a big, big deal when I was a kid, and uh, it only made twenty-eight million dollars.
2: Hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, I could argue I don't think they spent that much to make it, but that's really not much even back then. Yeah. yeah
1: when I saw that that dollar value, I thought, well, maybe it was because the maybe I remember it as a big deal because there was a lot of advertising involved with it, but I I don't know. Or maybe it was just something that was just big in my radar that didn't, you know, kind of hit big in the overall, uh, you know, kind of uh, movie viewing audience.
0: Yeah, because I don't remember it being advertised that heavily here. I remember Tron more than I do uh, The Last Starfighter, uh, because I remember there was more, um, you know, publicity put behind Tron with the light cycles and all that stuff. Well, it was Uh, Disney. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah. Disney, you know, has the money to put behind it, but yeah.
2: um. you know, there were a couple of other pieces. Well, since we're talking about Zur and his, you know, father, the emperor or something, whatever he's called. Anyway, um, the holograph, uh, the projection of the head in the middle of the operations center. That's something that has come up and it's kind of a trope even in science fiction is the idea that, you know you, you see it in um, Star Wars several times yeah, even in
1: uh, uh, not Big Bang Theory Third Rock from the Sun the big giant head
2: yep yeah. so you know that we don't That that's one piece of sci-fi we've well do we have it I mean could you argue we have we have video conferencing we don't necessarily have holographic projections just yet we do have those little robot devices with their you know Screens that are supposed to mimic a person being in a place, well, so that they're not.
0: Well, they haven't come up with the three D projection for a video conference yet. Um,
2: yeah, and, you know, honestly, that's something I don't know that I've heard much about as far as people trying
0: to develop it. And but you have to wonder though, how have, how hardly are they going to research that? Because what benefit would three D bring to, like, yeah. say, a business conference? It's the practical aspect of it, yeah.
1: And I I agree with that because I think that there's some technologies that just because you do it doesn't mean people want it, like Like, 3D uh, TVs, yeah. Like and and uh, like just because we developed TV didn't mean radio died. Like it's 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 a different medium, and just because we have you know TV to project moving pictures doesn't mean people stop painting, you know. Because you know, static two D pictures are still beautiful things to look at,
2: and photographs are still, you know, yeah. often more yeah. appropriate than videos. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, you, you might hire a wedding videographer, but you certainly hire a wedding photographer.
1: Yes. You know? Very, very true. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, you get you get senior portraits taken. You don't get senior videos. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. So. Some of that stuff just and some of it's just based on tradition too, but uh yeah, some of it's just got its own unique place and and where it fits in uh, I have to mention too the the universal translator yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was so fun, you know kita kita anyway um it was it was interesting how they they played that out basically you you know the kid had been transported up to this alien planet and everybody he has no idea what he's doing there and nobody speaks anything close to anything. I, mean, I was surprised he was greeted by such humanoid licking characters actually But it, and it went along for quite a while before they decided the guy needed a, a translator chip which they put on his shirt yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: it's like I what? Think it,
0: what what if he changes clothes
2: does that go through the wash
0: you know well right. uh, um, and Another little bit of trivia there, that was just the uh, circuit board of a digital watch that they just stuck on there, so they didn't spend a lot for that.
2: No, you could definitely see it was just some little chip boards from something. I didn't realize it was a watch, but it was just some piece of, you know, broken off motherboard somewhere. But it was magical in the fact that all of a sudden the movie went English. (laughs)
0: Well, it certainly makes those who don't you know speak you know a language more comfortable actually understand what they're saying so it did uh, make the viewer feel a little bit better to understand what everyone was saying around them.
2: Well as a, as a taking it off the science and the tech as a as a movie thing there was get, getting to be a point where you're like okay <laughs> Subtitles? Are we going to get subtitles at some point here? What's going on? So, and they took that to about uh, as far as it probably should have gone before they decided, yeah, we need to do some translating here.
1: You know, the best time I ever saw for that was uh, for for that transition between you know some language that the audience shouldn't understand and then the spoken one was the Hunt for Red October. Um, It starts out with Sean Connery and I, I think it's Sam Neill. But they're they're having a conversation in Russian, and the camera zooms in on Sean Connery's face, and then I think he he turns around, so he he turns makes a turn, and then the camera zooms away from his face, and as it's coming in towards him, he's speaking Russian, and when it turns and then zooms away, he's speaking English. It was the, it was a really great transition because you knew exactly what was happening. Now this one was good too because okay they clip this thing on and you see oh I understand what's what's being done there and in the in the hunt for red October one they're zooming in on his face and as he's I think they zoom into his mouth even and then they zoom out so you're like oh okay I get it we, you're not going to give us subtitles this is how we're gonna we're just going to be speaking English and this whenever these guys are talking I'm supposed to understand that they're, they're talking in Russian it was. It's it's really I I like I think it's really cool when a filmmaker does that and in, there's no kind of verbal direction to tell you it just that you you can see what the point of what they're doing is
2: mm-hmm. and but they do make some sort of cue that that's what's yeah. going on yeah. yeah
1: that's right but but I'm saying that that the cue is a nonverbal, just yep. the way they're directing it right by the by the direction of the movie that's your cue it's not uh, you don't have a third character. That sort of, hey, you just clipped that thing onto my you know jacket and now I can understand what you're saying.
2: Right, yeah. 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 You don't have to announce the cue. Yeah. That's right.
1: Yeah. 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 And I don't think anybody announced to him. Like once he 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 just looked at it and realized what had happened and then he just kinda continues on. I didn't I don't think he even commented on it, did he?
2: I think there was a comment after it was put on. But
1: it was just like, hey, I can understand you now. Right. he goes on, right? Yeah. I don't was, think he actually referred to the thing that had been clipped to him.
0: I, I could be wrong, but... I thought that somebody mentioned something about Universal Translator I, I or thought something. so, too. Oh, they okay. clipped
2: it on and, and he's like, hey, and they says, yeah, you know, we should have probably put... I can't remember exactly what they said, but I think they did refer to it. But it was just... It was a... Real quick. It, well, it was real quick and it was also real, real. I mean, it was like, you know, if, if somebody did that, if you were... You know, living in a place where you couldn't understand a any word anybody was saying, then they, you know, put something on your shirt, and all of a sudden, you would probably make a comment about that, yeah. and oh, they would and probably and come. up Keep out. in yeah, mind, yeah.
1: when when they got to Earth, none of those people had universal translators, but they
0: could all understand Greg now. <laughs> <laughs> he learned really fast. Yeah, I guess. Well, I'll...
2: maybe Greg had the universal translator um,
0: um, transmitter
2: as yeah, opposed to receiver. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's the
2: ticket. Yeah. Come on. I told you there wasn't any science in this movie. No, no. Um Hey, they had pretty cool guns, though. You know, Yeah. The bounty hunters <laughs> came to Earth. They, had, they brought the big weapons with them. Pew, pew, pew.
0: <laughs> guns that make people burst into flames. Yeah. Well, it saves on burial costs that way. Yeah. yeah.
2: That was so convenient. Yeah, just kind of destroy the evidence.
1: Yeah, mm. that, guns that rip people's arms off, and yeah, this I I thought this did, th- that did, part I thought it was funny.
2: Did that not play back to Star Wars though? I mean, seriously, oh, yeah, cantina totally. scene and everything. Um, so there, uh, when you think about the context of it, this was like what uh, Star Wars came out in '77. This came out in '84. I mean, it was still a thing. Oh, um, yeah. And I suspect I should oh, I should know this number too. But when did um, the second one, new Empire Stripes one, a new Back? Warp, Empire Stripes, it, I,
1: it had come. Out, I think it came out in '82. I think.
2: Yeah. So I, I'm thinking that's you know still a fresh thing that was you know in the culture at that time. So the little cues to to Star Wars um, that are in this movie were probably well received. They still are. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Oh, um,
1: The Empire Strikes Back came out in
2: 1980.
1: Okay. So yeah. So. And it's still very recent, though.
2: The, the, one of the other things that I think kind of played back to Star Wars as well um, is the the display screens, the you know, the targeting mechanisms. I mean, which is part of what video games looked like at that time too. But that really kind of spoke back to the you know targeting device that Luke turned off.
0: Right. Holy crap,
1: did that ever look dated though,
0: eh? Oh, did it, yeah. all the vector graphics and line graphics. Well, I remember one of the coolest games playing that I played when I was in high school which would have been like seventy nine eighty. It was I think it was called Tank Commander or something like that where you had all these little uh, line drawings and you had to maneuver the tank around. It didn't look a lot different than the Starfighter game that they were playing there. Where you had all the little objects you had to maneuver around and, and try to shoot with your tank and uh, uh, hit the enemy tanks and uh, not hit your own tanks or whatever. And it, uh, The for the time, I think it was uh, probably period-appropriate um, uh, graphics that they were using.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. You use the term vector graphics, and my brain's going, vector graphics. Well, vectors, I saw the vectors. I'm missing the graphics part of it. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Okay, heavy on vector, light on graphics.
2: You know. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. But, yeah, you know, and, and the gunships, of course, uh, with their... Um, we don't even know. We have no clue what types of weapons these were. Were there lasers, photon torpedo? I mean, well, you know,
1: he said uh, he said lasers, particle weapons, and there was there was there was something else. Well, they fired missiles at one point, but I don't think they ever actually said missiles.
2: Yeah, and and you don't uh, you know missiles too. What is there's different technologies to missiles, so that's not exactly specific. But, but no. it's interesting that the uh, again another nod to Star Wars was the uh, the gunning chair, if you want to call it, the whole swivel right. thing that goes in there, and you know. Well,
1: and just just hiding in the asteroid. Yeah, that well, too. Well, the, the other ship swept overhead and were searching for them. That yep. was totally Star Wars.
0: Yep, yep. Well, and then they had their their super weapon, as they call it, the death, death blossom. blossom. And um I looked at it as it was shooting I was thinking anybody in there was going to get nauseous was, because the way that thing was spinning around and firing.
2: It was you were either going to pass out or throw up. So it was kind yeah. of amusing to me that they just kind of came out of that and went, "Yeah, it worked. Woohoo." It well, be better
0: rate. better work cuz it was a one-shot weapon and they didn't know they'd never tested it before, so they didn't know if it was going to uh, you know, De- deplete the power, burn out the circuits or whatever, they had no idea but at that point, you know, if they didn't do something they were going to be dead anyway, so why not just take a shot at it and pray for the best
2: Yeah, and um, you know, who who invented that? <laughs> what sadist decided, we're just going to take a, a point and spin on it in every axis imaginable as quickly as possible and just shoot, 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 mm-hmm. shoot which, you well, know, the- if you could make that happen it wouldn't be a pretty effective weapon
0: well, you know, the thing is, though, you know, and not the I, you know, again. This is a movie you shouldn't ask too many questions on. But if they could target like that, why couldn't they just been targeting uh, all along rather than have this one super weapon where they spin it around and shoot it all the time? And because it had to do the targeting on its own, why did you need you know a you know a starfighter in there? Too? Do you
2: think it was targeting?
0: Oh yeah, it had to be.
2: I thought it was just random shooting, and there was just enough shots going out, and enough people nearby that it was just catching people.
0: You mean oh. the shotgun approach?
2: Yeah, basically, the just you know shoot in every direction as fast as you can, and you're going to hit them all anyway.
0: Well, I know that within a proximity, I guess. But it, yeah. yeah,
2: I got—I just got the impression, or you know, that they were just closing their eyes, you know, and just
0: wherever they could. <laughs> uh, it certainly seems like a last-ditch weapon, and, and maybe it was—I don't know—but to me, it seemed like they were. Maybe targeting. I may have to go back and watch that.
2: Yeah, bummer. Watching this movie twice would not be a bad thing in my mind. Oh no, it was worse. Yep, definitely.
1: That uh, it, the assassin, his head. I've seen that face. I don't know if it's just like that's just an iconic alien head with the way the eyes are placed and the and the mouth kind of above the eyes. Net, but I'm sure I've seen that before. Like.
2: That wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. And to me, that kind of harkened back to Star Wars a little bit, too. It really did kind of look like, uh, well, even a little bit like Admiral Akbar and. Um, well, oh, I'm sure. Who's the other one? There's another face, like. Anyway, never mind. Well,
0: well I'm sure these uh, you know special effects houses they you know would keep these things around, try to get their money's worth out of it. So I'm sure they, whenever they could get away with reusing some of these special effects, they would just to save on cost a little bit.
2: Of course they yeah, would. Yeah, I suppose. Yep. No, nope, that's welcome to Hollywood. <laughs> yep. Yep. So. Um,
1: what other tech did we have? I think we've covered just about everything.
2: Well, we could talk about the antennas to bring in, you know, the soaps. That's tech.
0: (laughs) Oh, my. Yeah. We could talk about the Dodge Ram
2: pickup that really hasn't changed much in 30 years. You mean Bubba? Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) What else? Yeah,
0: the antennas brought back memories because we'd always have to put those up out there in the farm and you'd have to sit there and turn and twist them. And, yeah, uh, not exactly science. Well, it is science. You but uh,
2: it's science.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, you know, make sure that you had it pointed at the one TV station. That was hard to get. Uh, you kind of had to get up on the roof and, you know, fiddle with things. So there was some science involved with that.
2: There is definitely science involved with that. That's, what they've, that's how we got to the moon. So... Anyway, I can't think of anything else huh.
1: So, if you guys had to pick One specific uh, DeLorean, I want the DeLorean <laughs> Fly <Flying laughs> car,
2: it's mine, I call dibs
0: hmm. uh, He who snoozes, loses <laughs> um, I guess so <laughs> Well, the, the, the Starfighter uh, uh, Ship that they flew Was kind of
1: interesting Alright I'll take uh, having a replicant to fill in For me, anytime. <laughs> I don't want to do anything
2: There you go <laughs> You yeah. can go fishing, and the replicant can go to work. I like yeah. that line.
1: I'll just get—I'll just brief him better than uh, than the replicant
0: was in the movie. So no, no, I'm just—I'm just seeing a mishmash now of this movie and Ferris, day, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> Bueller, yeah, Bueller.
2: Bueller. <laughs> uh, too fun.
1: Awesome. Well, uh, is there any last wrap-up things you want to guys want to? Uh, go over it with regards. So you guys all like the movie, right?
0: Oh, yeah. 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 All
1: right.
0: This is even the kind of movie I could have gotten my wife to sit down and watch, and she wouldn't have any problems with it. So it gets the wife's seal of approval.
1: Yeah. This was a fun... This Last Starfighter is a fun movie.
0: Yep. All right.
1: So that wraps up this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. You can check us out at sci com, where there's uh, some cool space junk, which I got my Sci-Fi Tech Talk t-shirt this week, and I wore it to work.
2: Oh, uh, hey, I guess I'm wearing mine <laughs>
1: Ooh, Mine's I, in the wash right now <laughs> I must have
2: planned that huh?
1: <laughs> yeah but there's t-shirts and hoodies And all sorts of stuff there So if you want to go by there and take a look um, You can also follow us on twitter At sci-fi tech talk And if you have ideas or comments Please send them to sci tech talk At gmail.com And reviews on iTunes are always welcome So Mike where can people find you
0: yeah, I can be out there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DSE Chipman, and I have the about.me Me page at about.me, Me at uh, About Me slash Mike McPeak. That's M C P E E K. All right, and Julie, where can people find you?
2: Pretty much any on Twitter at Julie Keel. J U L I E K U E H L. And I, too, have an about.me page where you can find links to my other blogs, podcasts, and whatever else I've got going on at about.me slash Julie Keel.
1: And I think you're not kidding that people can really find you pretty much any time of the day or night on Twitter. Shh. (laughs) And if you're looking to talk to me, you can catch me on Twitter at Bronco Sire, Bronco with S-Y-E-R. And uh, that's it for the show. We'll see you in the future
2: is the sci-fi